Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The Indian government is now making it very difficult for Canadians to visit the country, closing its visa offices here and escalating the diplomatic dispute between countries. India made the move after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau accused it of having a role in the murder of BC's Sikh activist Hardeep Singh Nijar. And as Ramina Dea reports, it's upending travel plans for thousands of people. Panic and deep disappointment at the BLS International Centre in Surrey as travellers learn the Indian government has suspended visa services in Canada. It's not in the benefit of the public or actually we are they are harassing the normal public over here. It is impacting, definitely impacting everyone and especially people who want to travel for health reasons, people who don't have coverage here but want to go back to India or just for a better service. India defending its decision. You are aware of the security threats being faced by our High Commission and consulates in Canada. This has disrupted their normal functioning. Confusion mounting because e-visas are still available online. But for how long? Travel companies monitoring hour by hour. From the start of the day, we have been having hundreds of phone calls in and out. People are having concerns about their travel plans to India. Justin Trudeau pressed again Thursday on the integrity of Canadian intelligence, which has linked the Modi government to the killing of prominent Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Nijar, who was gunned down at a Surrey temple in June. India has categorically denied any involvement. As I said on Monday, there are credible reasons to believe that agents of the government of India were involved in the killing of a Canadian on Canadian soil. Pressure is mounting on Trudeau to release some evidence in connection to the Niger case. A spokesperson for the Indian Foreign Ministry is saying no specific information has been provided by Canada to the Indian government. We have conveyed this to the Canadian side, made it clear to them that we are willing to look at any specific information, but so far we have not received any such specific information. The diplomatic standoff now taking a human toll on everyday citizens in both countries who are greatly concerned about what happens next. The only person suffer is the people. Ramina Dea, Global News. Now, Vancouver and Toronto are Canada's two major hubs for travel to and from India. Last year, 293 flights took off from YVR bound for India, carrying more than 84,000 passengers. Before today's announcement, YVR had been forecasting a huge increase in those numbers for 2023. 370 scheduled departures, carrying more than 100,000 passengers. The Edmonton Police Internet Child Exploitation Unit is asking for your help to identify the victim in a sexual assault 
that may have happened on Vancouver Island. The ICE unit is asking people to take a look at this photo of the bedroom where the assault is believed to have happened. The victim is a girl thought to be between the ages of 6 and 10 years old. The image was taken from a phone belonging to a 16-year-old suspect who's now facing a string of child pornography charges. The suspect has lived near Edmonton as well as Nanaimo and Ladysmith. If you recognize this room, you're asked to contact police. The Stolo First Nation in the Fraser Valley is updating its search for missing children and unmarked burials at three former residential school sites. Janet Brown is live in Mission tonight with more on the finding released today. And Janet, it has taken two years to get to this point. Chris, a terribly sad and difficult afternoon here in Mission outside the old St. Mary's Residential School. The news conference going on for roughly two hours. It was packed. A lot of tears during this afternoon. And what we learned is that 158 children lost their lives here at the old St. Mary's, also at residential schools in Chilliwack, Yale, as well as an Indian hospital. As you say, the investigation's been going on for close to two Two years now by the taking care of children team and Chris this what I'm going to say now is really going to be difficult for a lot of viewers and listeners right now some of the findings of this team after speaking to what they say are only a handful of survivors from these residential schools but in particular St. Mary's residential school and mission that there were many atrocities cases of children killed secretive burials of children and by children that took place that it was a place of punishment starvation and malnutrition and one terribly terrible terribly sad example that was given and you could hear wails coming from around the room was that children had to eat often green spoiled bologna or eat nothing at all as well sexual abuse was described as rampant here at the old St. Mary's and here is more from the afternoon news conference Chris we heard cases of children being killed we heard of the secretive burial of children who died and the forced burial of children by other children. We learned of the secretive burial of babies. We were told that the St. Mary's old school was characterized as a place of punishment and starvation and the new school, a place of pedophilia. And Chris, we were told that investigators will continue their work indefinitely, but they say the big question remains, who committed these atrocities? Back to you. And will they be brought to justice? Janet, thanks very much. That's Janet Brown reporting. Now, there is support for survivors. A 24-hour crisis line is available for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of their residential school experience, just call the toll-free number and speak in confidence. That's 1-800-721-0066. Delegates at the Union of BC Municipalities Convention have voted down a motion to end the province's COVID-19 vaccination mandates for healthcare workers. BC is the very last province to require the vaccine, which contributed to a shortage of healthcare staff. Richard Zussman joins us live with more on the vote today. And the issue, Richard, sparked a fiery debate. 
It sure did. It got to the point, Sophie, where they actually had to cut debate off because so many people wanted to speak on this. Three and a half years after the pandemic started, emotions are still very raw. It's an issue dividing communities. And on Thursday, a mandate requiring a COVID-19 vaccine in healthcare settings landing on the floor at UBCM. That is the elephant in the room is, you know, let's get our, our unvaccinated nurses and doctors and healthcare workers back to work. But not everyone agrees. And one of the longer debates of the week, municipal leaders from across BC voting down a motion suggesting the BC should scrap the mandate. The people who are in hospitals are vulnerable. Young, old, doesn't matter, you know, cancer patients. And so everyone has a right to be as safe as possible. British Columbia, the only jurisdiction in Canada with a vaccine requirement in the healthcare system. Northern politicians say their community has been disproportionately impacted by the mandate. We lost a doctor in Smithers um, at, at the hospital because of this. He that's, that one doctor might have 2,000 patients. You know, I, I live in a town that's got maybe 2,500 people. You know, like you, you lose one healthcare professional, it, it's huge. Health Minister Adrian Dick says the province is not considering making a change. The province says staffing is up more than 6% in BC this year, compared to down 1% in Alberta. The evidence is that, um, that uh, jurisdictions that support public health and support health care uh, do very well in recruitment relative to others. BC United and the Conservative Party of BC have been advocating to lift the requirement. One argument being made is at this point it could have been a few years since a vaccinated health care worker received a shot, making it far less effective. Over 99% of health care workers got vaccinated and that should be an ex explanation to everyone else why everyone needs to get vaccinated against COVID-19. All right, Richard, the respiratory illness season is coming up, as we know. Is there a possibility the province could go even further and ensure healthcare workers have all of their vaccinations up to date? We know that uh, the province is going to be sticking with the mandate, but there could be changes. Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dick-Sophie will be doing a press conference next Thursday. One of the things that has been discussed is this idea that uh, healthcare workers need to have vaccines up to date. Currently, they just need two shots. It's unclear what Dr. Henry will decide on that. The other issue that's up for debate here is whether the province will bring back a mask mandate in healthcare settings. That's something we'll find out on Thursday about whether the province is going to do, considering they are worried about this upcoming season with COVID-19, the flu, as well as other mm -hmm. respiratory illnesses. All right. Thanks for that, Richard. Richard Zussman reporting live at UBCM. A new survey shows the Conservative Party of Canada is making good gains in popularity over the governing Liberals. Keith Baldry joins us now with the details. Keith, this Ipsos poll follows a trend we've seen. Break it down for us. Yeah, you know, for years, the gap between the federal Liberals and the federal Conservatives is almost minuscule. Some points, the Conservatives actually head during election time. But the last few months have seen a lot of daylight now created between the Liberals and the Conservatives, the likes of which we haven't seen for some years. Ipsos now finding a, a decided vote, a nine-point gap between the Conservatives and the Liberals, the NDP in a distant third place, along with the BQ, and the Greens continue to hover near the bottom, along with the People's Party. In terms of trends, the Conservatives up two points since the last poll a couple months ago. 
ago. Liberals down a corresponding two points. The NDP basically not going anywhere. They're stuck in neutral uh, in third place, as is the Bloc and the Greens. Not much movement there. On the critical question, who would make the best prime minister, though, Pierre Poilievre well out in front of Justin Trudeau, the incumbent. A nine-point gap there matches the party gap. And Jagmeet Singh's actually running ahead of his party in terms of popularity, a trend we've seen for some time as well. Uh, pollster Daryl Bricker, we caught up with him. He attributes this big gap to a growing disenchantment amongst voters with the direction the country is headed in. When you take a look at why uh, Canadians are feeling the way they are right now, uh, real dissatisfaction with the direction of the country, particularly when it concerns the big issues that are on their personal agendas, which relate to things like, for example, cost of living, access to housing and, uh, and inflation. Now, as often said, a poll is simply a snapshot in time. It's a snapshot of what's going on today in terms of people's minds. The next election is still a long ways off, so the people will not be headed to the vote anytime soon. Opinions can change. There's still time for the Liberals to try something. They're going to throw a lot of things at the wall to see what sticks. But right now, if you're Piero Poli and the Conservatives, you have to like what you see from the pollsters. No doubt they do. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Well, many people in Nanaimo are on edge after more suspicious fires today, following a blaze on Monday that forced 20 people out of their condo complex. As Aaron MacArthur reports, business leaders are now demanding the government step in to help combat the growing street disorder in the downtown core. 45-year-old building. Quick thinking likely prevented the damage from being worse. Several calls to 911 were made after witnesses saw smoke pouring from the crawl space under this business on Victoria Crescent. The stubborn fire, a challenge for Nanaimo fire crews to get access to. The third fire ignited in a two-block radius Thursday morning. Had somebody squirting flammable liquid on the gas pumps at Co-op Gas and started a fire there. Um, an hour later, 6 a.m., just across the street, the plastic grating for rain to go down. Again, flammable liquid squirted down it, set on fire. And then at 10 this morning, right behind me, we had the fire that was from a cigarette butt. These latest fires have Nanaimo business owners and residents concerned. Every single time we do these interviews, it feels like um, it just we just keep edging towards something more severe. There have been a string of suspicious fires in and around Nanaimo's downtown core. On Monday, a fire at a condo building displaced 20 residents. The fire started outside in the garbage recycling area. Fire investigators say residents spotted someone in the area before the flames erupted. A crematorium sustained smoke damage after a fire broke out behind it, and days earlier, a dental office was gutted by flames. Residents looking for answers from the city and from senior levels of government. The EB government needs to wake up. The federal government needs to wake up. The Nanaimo Fire Department says the fire in the building at this point appears accidental. The other two blazes are not connected with one another. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A broken window leads to a bitter dispute. All of a sudden I became aware of, of uh, rocks, um, small and larger, being uh, thrown. Coquitlam City crews were cleaning up a path behind this homeowner's house when a rock flew into the kitchen window. The shocking result when he tried to get compensation to cover the repair. That's next on the News Hour. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders 
no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Let's develop a line of furniture that looks beautiful and that uh, basically stands for reclaiming and, and preserving our environment. The company turning abandoned wood destined for the bonfire into beautiful furniture later on the news hour. Also tonight, the giant stainless steel T-Rex completes its journey, standing tall in the Okanagan, where you can see it coming up. Right now, though, a Port Moody resident is speaking out tonight after he says city of Coquitlam Cruz damaged his property. He wants the city to pick up the sizable repair bill, but instead he's in the middle of a long-standing dispute. With more, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Thanks, Sophie. Martin Eldridge says the city of Coquitlam isn't being a good neighbor. He says his home was damaged while crews were clearing a path behind his home. He's now sharing this cautionary tale as a warning to homeowners. Well, it was picking up uh, uh, small rocks and uh, dust from the path. And that's when Martin Eldridge started to worry. Back in May, the Port Moody resident spotted City of Coquitlam crews operating this piece of heavy machinery, a flail mower used to clear the weeds along this path behind Martin's home, which borders Port Moody and Coquitlam. As it reached our property, all of a sudden I became aware of rocks, um, small and larger, being thrown. Uh, then I heard a big crack as the uh, window broke behind me there. Martin inspected his broken kitchen window and says he immediately walked down to the path reporting the damage to the city employee operating the mower. He came to have a look. He apologized and then asked me to, to follow him down to his truck where he gave me a card which explained how to make a claim. Martin followed the instructions on that card and submitted a claim with the city of Coquitlam to pay for the damage. But the claim was denied. I'm just shocked. I wasn't involved in this at all. Uh, there was no action from my part. I'm just uh, sitting here minding my own business to have the, the window break. In a letter to Martin, the city of Coquitlam outlined its decision, stating, the actions by staff were reasonable and there is no evidence of wrongdoing or negligence. And goes on to say, in the absence of negligence on the part of the city or staff, we must respectfully decline your request for compensation. Martin was then instructed to file a claim with his home insurance. The quote to repair the damage, over $1,000. My home insurance deductible is, is $1,000, so there'd be no benefit to making a claim to not get recompensed and then have a claim against my policy. So, um, so here I am. Consumer Matters reached out to the city of Coquitlam looking for answers. We were told the city is unable to comment on specific claims, but said all claims submitted to the city are fully investigated and it remains dedicated to providing open communication to claimants to clarify the basis and rationale of any decision. Which means Martin is left on his own with a broken window. He has this warning for homeowners. just feels that the city has their own way of doing things and we as, as residents uh, need to be careful. And one more note, in late August, Martin says his case was reviewed again by the city of Coquitlam, but the conclusion was the same. Martin says he's now deciding whether he'll pay the bill or go to small claims court. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Two tough options for him. All right, thanks very much, Anne.
Coming up, a former BC ferry in a pretty bad state. That was the most concerning thing, just the amount of oil that looks like it's leaked out of machinery. Who owns the Queen of Sydney now and how it's turning into an environmental hazard? Also coming up, how the plan for a new campground on Bowen Island has locals rallying to stop it. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge this evening with just a bit of leftover volume on the east-west connector. Help police keep our roads safe by keeping your eyes off your phone and on the road because safer roads start with you. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. People are once again raising concerns about the former BC Ferries Queen of Sydney. It's slowly sinking into the Fraser River, rusting away now for more than 20 years. And they're worried about the hazard it poses to the environment and potentially other ships and structures in the river. Kamal Karamali has the latest. Oh, man. oh, wow, look at the oil water there. Yeah. A rare look inside a decaying ferry that's been an eyesore on the Fraser River in Mission for two decades. You can pretty much just walk on. There's no fences or anything. Garrett Miller shot this video that has now gained a lot of traction online. You didn't want anyone to see this level of pollution that's just seeping into the Fraser River. For what it shows. That was the most concerning thing, just the amount of oil that looks like it's leaked out of machinery. The Queen of Sydney, built in 1960, retired in 2000 and sold. They're not asking you to remove it. No. To Gerald Tapp and his brother. This interview from 2012, the city of Mission says it's tried to get the rusted ferry removed for years, kicking the responsibility up to the province. There were multiple reports made to the Ministry of Environment. So on Tuesday, environmental protection officers came down here and completed an assessment, and they claim there's no pollution going into the Fraser River. Still a lot of material sitting in the water. Asbestos for one, that's everybody's the biggest fear, but uh, lead, mercury, zinc, copper, tributylene is be a huge one on that vessel, and uh, it takes generations for it to dissipate. It's an industrial site. You shouldn't be on it. Residents in the area now constantly dealing with trespassers. One time we phoned the police because the kid had a five-inch gash on his arm and he wouldn't go to the hospital. While the city and the province say it's the responsibility of the feds, the Coast Guard and Fisheries and Oceans Canada wouldn't answer our questions by deadline. A confusing bureaucratic mess. One thing's for certain, it'll be a costly cleanup. I bet you it's probably into 20 million, 30 million dollars if it's done right. While the blame spills from one government body to the next. It is very greasy in here. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Well, here's another mishap involving a commercial truck causing problems for drivers on the North Shore today. This was the scene along Highway 1 just after 9.30 this morning. A concrete truck discharged its load of aggregate while traveling along the upper levels. It left a trail of material on the roadway and thick clouds of cement dust that obscured driver's vision. A Bowen Island conservation group wants to buy a piece of the island from Metro Vancouver to the tune of $30 million. As Krista Dow reports, it's the latest volley in a battle over plans to build the island's first campground. Views here extend east toward Vancouver. The tranquil and striking beauty of Bowen Island has never really been up for debate. It's been uh, a place where you can really breathe into the environment. 
Rather, what's making waves throughout the community is how best to protect the land. At issue, Cape Roger Curtis, located on the southwest tip. In May, Metro Vancouver purchased the 97-hectare private land for $40 million, planning to develop it into a regional park and campground adjacent to a nearby nature's refuge. The campground does not protect the ecological um, environment there. It just, it can't, not with that amount of people. It's too busy already. Um, it would be adding just more fuel to the fire at this point. We have so many limited resources and are already kind of at max at this point. Other concerns that the campsites would bring irreversible ecological and social impacts, not to mention increased foot and vehicle congestion. Some days it's a five-hour commute for a 30-minute appointment. Um, just massive lineups, massive tourists coming over. She's in support of a new proposal by the Bowen Island Conservancy Group to buy the forested waterfront property for $30 million. It's promising to keep the ecological system intact with no camping. The ecosystem here is known as coastal dry forest. Which the conservation group declined to comment. In a statement, Metro Vancouver says this spectacular piece of land is a remarkable opportunity to protect environmentally sensitive areas and to connect regional residents with an opportunity to spend the night in nature, an experience that is increasingly difficult for residents to get, adding it's committed to this process. I feel like if this park or slash campground goes through, um, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have to leave. We're concerned about our community and what makes our community special and cohesive. A final concept plan is expected this fall. Krista Dow, Global News. Just ahead, a missing pet scam. I said, I'm going to call the police, and they said, go ahead. How a family was targeted when they put up posters to find their lost cat. But first, danger adrift. The concerns about a yacht on fire floating down the river. Ninety-nine through Richmond due to this stalled semi. It's just before Blundell in the right lane. And then further south from there, you're going to see delays for another stall south of the tunnel in the left lane. Get 0.99% financing for up to 80, 60 months on a Sierra 1500 Pro. Visit your local GMC dealer today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 in Richmond. A frightening situation on the South Surrey waterfront this afternoon. Just after about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, fire broke out on a boat near the Crescent Beach Marina. The vessel was either cut free or broke free of its mooring and drifted with the tide up the Nicomechal River. It ended up next to a private dock on the river where firefighters were able to push the flames. The boat is a write-off, having burned right down to the waterline. The owners of a tugboat that sank in 2021, killing two mariners, will not serve any jail time. Captain Troy Pearson and crew member Charlie Craig died when the Ingenica sank in the waters off Kitimat. Last month, the boat's owners, James Jeffrey Bates and Wainwright Marine Services, pleaded guilty to safety charges under the Workers' Compensation Act for failing to provide proper training and ensuring equipment was in good working order. An investigation by the Transportation Safety Board found the Ingenica had never been inspected in its 50 years of service. 
The judge in the case has accepted a joint submission from Crown and Defense that the owners face a fine. The dollar value will be determined at a future hearing. A woman on Vancouver Island is warning other pet owners of a scam she almost fell victim to. It targets people who publicize that their pets are missing and share their personal information, hoping to be reunited with the lost animal. Kylie Stanton shows us how it works. Isn't she just adorable? Still as tiny and energetic as a kitten. You'd never guess Georgie is going on five years old. She bounces, she plays. But Jackie Loughton's Victoria home has been oddly quiet these past few days. She went missing Sunday night. She must have slipped out when we put the dogs out. With posters in hand, the family got to work canvassing the neighborhood. So there's my address and my phone number. Including all the information one might need to contact them if Georgie was found. I did get a text the very next morning. Hi, I know where your cat is. And I replied, where? The texter went on to say a good friend had located the cat, but would not provide any further details. I'm not giving her address. After a few more texts back and forth, Loughton became suspicious. I said, I'm going to call the police, and they went, said, go ahead. Because the texter said someone else had the cat and did not ask for any money, police told Loughton the exchange just fell short of what's required in order to get a warrant. So professionals? Yeah, I would say they knew what they were doing. It's really frustrating. With 20 to 30 illegitimate calls every day, Leslie Steves, co-founder of Rome, has had her fair share of practice weeding out the scammers. We say, okay, thank you. Can you send us a picture? And then they ask us to send them a six-digit code of some kind, or they're going to send us a code and we'll send a code back to them. So you know immediately then that something's going sideways. While this specific type of scam has yet to be reported to the Better Business Bureau in BC, it's well aware of it, saying scammers are targeting pet owners at their most vulnerable. This is the end for them. And so you have to protect yourself to make sure that you're dealing with someone who's legitimate. Despite the ordeal, Loughton is doubling down on her efforts, now working with Rome while continuing to search for Georgie on her own, holding out hope she'll be able to bring her home. It would mean everything. Like, we need that part of our family back. It's not whole without her. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Dozens of dogs have been seized from a breeder in the Okanagan following an investigation by the BCSPCA into their living conditions. Protection officers found 30 dachshunds were being kept in small crates in unsanitary conditions with bedding soiled with urine and feces. The dogs age from four months to five years of age and also have dental disease and overgrown nails. The dogs are now receiving medical care and are not currently available for adoption. Coming up, the spark of a business idea. It all started out when our founder was basically looking for some bridge wood for a coffee table that he was commissioned to build. Instead of burning the remnants of old logging road bridges, they found a much better use for all that wood. And later in sports, Canucks training camp begins. What JT Miller says about the day one battles. It is such a striking sculpture, a giant stainless steel Tyrannosaurus Rex 
has successfully made a roughly 300-kilometer journey from Chilliwack to Penticton. Kevin Stone has been working on this 17,000-pound life-size sculpture for two years, building it in sections. He was approached by a client to commission the project, which would ultimately see the T-Rex move to a large Penticton property. It was loaded up onto a truck in pieces earlier this week and driven up the Coquihalla to its new home where it was assembled. It's probably going to take a few few days still to decompress from all that work and all the stress of getting it there. But uh, it really feels good because, as you know, I never got to see it together when I was building it. And to see it all come together and the proportions to tie together real nice and uh, the location was unbelievable. Wow, the roughly 23-foot-tall T-Rex is now overlooking Okanagan Lake, where it will still be visible to the public from a nearby trail. Pretty good view of the lake from up there. Calm right now. Let's get the latest on the weather with Christy, who's keeping an eye on things. Yeah, so calm right now. Today, the last full day of summer, we officially transition into fall tomorrow late in the day. It is going to be summer-like or summer tomorrow, but as we transition into fall, we talked about this yesterday, we've got big changes on the way, and it's officially starting on Saturday, but the impact will be into next week, I think, for the most part, that you can expect it. So next week, we've got a series of rainstorms and much cooler conditions, and that's the case right across the province. So if you're a traveler out there, be aware that there is a chance next week we could see snow on the mountain passes so snow tires may not be a bad idea all right so what we've got is one more day of heat on the way for the south coast we've got rainfall that will move in on saturday bit of a break in the action on sunday but then as you can see yes we've got a series of systems that are going to make its way in with much cooler conditions expected and the cooler air will be felt in the interior regions as well especially as we head into next week uh here's a look at how much rainfall we could see just one computer model showing uh, significant amounts for the south coast area. Still some good amounts for the interior, but less there. North coast region, though, we'll see rainfall today. We're going to see sunshine once again for the last sort of day of, uh, of uh, summer. We transition, I think, at close to 11 p.m. at night tomorrow, 20 to 24 degrees. And then once again, we're expecting rain on and off on Saturday. A bit of a break on Sunday before the rain returns on Monday. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Briscoe, B.C., which is new to me. It's just north of Reading Hot Springs along the Columbia River where Wally says, yes, the salmon are there spawning a sure sign of fall. Great to see that. Thanks so much, Wally. Back to you too. Beautiful sight. Thanks, Christy. Well, we've all heard the expression, don't burn bridges. A former B.C. pulp mill worker took that motto literally. He found a nearly limitless supply of wood destined for the bonfire and turned it into a thriving business instead. Paul Johnson reports. A pile of wood about to be burned and the spark of an idea. Well, it all started out when our founder was basically looking for some bridge wood for a coffee table that he was commissioned to build. Those wooden bridges on B.C. logging roads are typically made of big Douglas fir beams. Too costly to haul back out of the woods, they're often burned at the end of their service lives. Braden Sloan's father finally asked if he paid to take some away, could he have them? They said, yeah, you're, you came right on time. We were just about to burn and uh, take as much as you want. A few years later, Take a look at the gorgeous furniture Bridges Environmental Group is making out of that wood. Made in their workshop in Mackenzie, wouldn't these pieces look great in any big city showroom? We have beautiful bedroom suites 
everything from the king size bed to the high boy, the low boy, the nightstand. So the potential amount of wood that can be reclaimed here is vast. British Columbia has more than 600,000 kilometers of logging roads. That means countless wooden bridges that need to be decommissioned at some point. So we've got a lot of continuous wood resource that we can value add. Value add. It's what BC's forest sector will have to pivot to is the old model of mostly just exporting lumber and logs is now threatened by exhausted forests. Bridges has their production shop in Mackenzie, with a skyline of shuttered mills confirms it's one of Canada's hardest hit logging towns. So the jobs are welcome. And there's also pride in saving good wood from the burn pile, especially for an Indigenous-owned company. Our company believes that um, we can respect the land by reclaiming the wood, preserving the environment, and creating beautiful art furniture. Paul Johnson, Global News. Looks pretty good. Value added. All right, uh, let's bring in Squire. Chris sang yesterday. I'm not going to today, but it's training camp has begun. I would love to hear your voice. No, nope. oh, okay. this is my voice. All right. Uh, I was willing to go there. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe. We heard one it day. yesterday. Uh, day one of Canucks camp, and the head coach was happy with how things went. It was well done. Hard work. You know, some details we got to go over, but it was good. And coming up after the break, we are going to talk to J.T. Miller about how he feels regarding this year's edition of the Canucks. Also tonight. When they came into that business, they really didn't even know anything about fresh produce. Humble beginnings for the founders of Kins Farm Market, now celebrating 40 years of feeding B.C. later. Fascinating mind movies in the commercial breaks that will stay secret <laughs> for now about because it was about t-rexes yeah, Squire, anyway. we're burning up your time go okay it is the uh, third straight training camp with a different head coach for the vancouver canucks this year of course it's rick tockett now the canucks looked a little more structured under tockett than they did under bruce boudreau last season mind you the goaltending situation seemed to clear up after uh, bruce boudreau left it wasn't his fault uh, the players, though, did seem to respond to Talkout, who stresses defensive awareness. We'll see if that finish last year was a new coach bump or if the team really can succeed playing that way. Now, Barry is in Victoria, where the Canucks are, and he is with J.T. Miller with him right now. J.T., we've heard the term uh, culture around here a lot in the, in the last uh, few months, certainly since uh, Rick Talkout came as, as head coach. In your mind, what... What is this that, and how, how important is it for you guys to have the proper culture around here? I mean, having a good culture is a winning culture, and that just means to a man doing what it takes to be a good professional on and off the ice. I mean, it's as simple as that to where uh, things just become instinct and habit, and it becomes part of your character and culture as a team. And, you know, for a while now, this organization's had a losing culture, and it sucks. People, you know, competitive players don't like losing, and um, you know, I think it's time that we, I mean, we've obviously made a ton of changes and a lot of turnover since I've been here. So, it's nice to feel like we found a little bit of group, a little bit of a groove, and can kind of start pulling the rope in the right direction. I mean, you've been a pro for a long time, and man, you're you're trying every year. It's not mm -hmm. like you you want to have a losing culture. Yep. How does that, you know, morph as you get older, or what has to happen for that to kind of become a reality for you guys to have the winning culture? Well, I think it's different to a man. I mean, but for me, I want to win a Stanley Cup. You know, I mean, that's what everybody dreams about doing when they're a kid. And to do that, 
you have to make sacrifices and changes as a professional, you know, to a man to to to, to achieve that. And the hard part is getting everybody to do it, and, and it's frustrating. You know, an emotional guy like me is, you know, to see losing games more than not. I mean, I hate it. It sucks. So, you know, but that's in the past, and you know, we feel confident right now, and. You know, we're not putting an expectation or a pressure on ourselves. We're just going to try to get better as a group. And I know that's super cliche, but, you know, we, you know, the guys have come in a good shape and we've prepared ourselves. And I think when you're prepared, it's just going to make us a better team. I have to ask you, what, what does success look like to you oh. this year? What does success say for JT and the Canucks? You know what? I, I honestly don't know. I'm not, I don't want to get into this. Last year, I put my foot right in my mouth, and I don't want to play catch-up again. Like, it really are. We are taking it day by day. We're trying to push ourselves, and we're trying to become better hockey players and become a close-knit team, become a family. I mean, that, maybe that's what we're trying to do here. And uh, I have total faith with the talent we have that if we do that, you know, we're going to be where we want to be. All right, JT Miller and the Canucks at training camp in Victoria. Let's send it back to the studio. There were only 59 players at camp today because they were supposed to have 60, and forward Ilya Mikheyev couldn't stay. He had to leave Victoria for reasons that had nothing to do with the knee problem that shortened his season last year. This absence was because of uh, something off the ice. Yeah, personal reasons right now. I, mean, I won't get into it. He had to take something, take care of something, so we sent him back. I'm back not sure. To, back to Russia? No, no, back to Vancouver. What do you so, expect him back here? Uh, I haven't talked to him. Uh, Maybe t uh, tomorrow, I don't know, maybe the next day, I'm not sure. So it's, it's, a, it's something that's kind of private right now. Well, here's the perfect way to show you what happened to the Caps in Houston last night. Brian White tries to head the ball away from his net. Instead, it deflects into his net. And then when Brian White gets a chance to head the ball into Houston's net, he misses, oh, I don't know, by about a mile. Vancouver lost the Dynamo 4-1, their first loss on the seven-game road trip. It was inevitable they weren't going to win all their road games. And Vanny does see a bright side to all of this. Uh, if we want to take, uh, uh, I would say, a good thing from this game, it's, uh, it's a good wake-up call. You know, we've been in a kind of heaven from the last uh, uh, few weeks. We were on a quote-unquote roll. It's good to... Uh, understand that uh, if we are not the best version ourselves, uh, it's hard to make points. So I, I think it's a, it's a good wake-up call for us. Labor Cup starts tomorrow at Rogers Arena. It's going to go all weekend, day and night sessions. Team Europe against Team World. Team World are the defending champions. The only time the world has won this. Of course, it's coached by John McEnroe. It won it last year, and just like last year, Felix Ojeali-Asim of Canada is on the world team this year. Um, had a great experience winning last year, but it was away, uh, so to speak. So it'd be nice to do it at home and kind of like celebrate with, with, with the people here and, and you know, kind of keep, uh, yeah, keep the trophy uh, in, in our hands. But excited to, to kick it off tomorrow night. I think it should, it's going to be... A good day, and looking back on, on, on the years before, we know how important the first day is, so have to get a good start. And Ron Toigo has added to his list of celebrities as minority owners of the Vancouver Giants. He's got Bruce Allen, he's got Michael Bublé, uh, now he's got Drew Scott of the Property Brothers. He's one of the minority owners of the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not, not Vancouver Canucks, Vancouver Giants. Vancouver, <laughs> Vancouver Giants, yeah. Giants. And I say Canucks, Giants, not Canucks. That's the Aquilinis. They're not sharing it with anybody, but Toygo shares. If they need any improvements to the arena, they know who to go to. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yes, he can re. Up next, how the Vancouver family behind a well known produce market is enjoying the fruits of their labor.
This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Well, if you haven't shopped at Kin's Farm Market, chances are good you're at least familiar with the stores full of fresh fruit and vegetables. From humble beginnings as a single table at Granville Island, it's grown into a produce empire, and it's now marking a very big anniversary. Jay Durant has the story in This is BC. My favorite is Ambusa. They're celebrating a milestone this year. You want one? <laughs> 40 years now for Kin's Farm Market, a family success story that all started after a move to Vancouver in the early 80s. They came here wide-eyed looking to build a better life for themselves and the family, and um, they had to work extremely hard to, to build themselves up. The Leong family lived in the attic of this Vancouver house, working odd jobs until a visit to Granville Island sparked an idea. Exciting, really exciting. This is all the people. Wow, can I doing something like <laughs> It started very small, one produce table in the public market. When they came into that business, they really didn't even know anything about fresh produce, and they really had to work from the ground up. The first storage facility was a shed in the back alley. Slowly, the business expanded. We all learned from the Granville Island market because there's high competition there. In 1987, they opened their first store in Richmond. Step by step, and uh, always scare <laughs> the challenge. Now the warehouse is much bigger and the staff a lot busier supplying their 23 stores. You need help finding anything today? No, no you're good? A little more. <laughs> a little more. A little He's going to go more. through that in a day. Come on. Of all the awards and recognition they've received, there's one prized possession that Kin Wah's grandmother gave him before leaving China. A little good luck note. Just only one paper for, for my life. Work hard and then you'll, you'll have a bright future. My family came to Canada with nothing. If we can do it, I believe anybody can do it. And look at the size. Local, local product. Wow, so good. Still working hard, working hard. Humbly and uh, make a success. Thanks so much. <laughs> no Appreciate that. Jay Durant, Global News. How can you not want to eat your vegetables after seeing those? <laughs> if you know someone who has a great story to tell, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Congratulations to Kins on 40 years. Okay, last word on weather with the rain a couple of days away still. Yeah, so enjoy tomorrow if you're a sun lover, but we are in for rain and we sure do need it. So thankfully it's on its way. Awesome. All right, thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.